2: So, Abigail, you 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 mentioned like when you your look, you have got a very specific look, haven't you? It's like a um a mod sort of sixties um kind of thing. I could imagine my mum wearing back in the sixties, and I hope that isn't insulting.
3: Not at all, not at all. Um, I get that quite a lot actually, and it's quite it's quite nice one of the things about it that I really enjoy is that if I'm on a train or if I'm walking down the street a lot of people will stop me and say oh you're taking me back to my youth and they'll talk me through different stories that they've got and I really enjoy that side of it but um yeah I struggled for a long while to to find myself and find find my identity um I never really fitted in I never really understood the idea of conforming and following a certain certain path i've always had my own style i've always liked music that's different to my friends um Mm -hmm. i was brought up on on the who on Lou Reed, on neil young and and that's you know that's my music that's what i still love listening to um so yeah i never i never really followed the same path as a lot of my friends in that respect but i think when when i was going through my teenage years and and i was I, i lost my identity when i was when i was very poorly um and it took me a while to understand that it was okay to to not conform and not follow the same path as others um but now i fully embrace it you know people people often laugh at my style people you know will point and laugh at me in the street and i just find it quite sad really it's quite upsetting that that so many people are conditioned to thinking that we all have to look and think a certain way um and i'm i'm quite thankful that i i don't fall into that category
2: no no and and um I guess the the thing is is what was normal back in the sixties isn't normal to to current the the current day that we find ourselves in, you know many six decades have passed since then. So um, it's but it, it it is a very distinctive look. But you could have actually latched onto something that was even like you could have been like a eighties a punk, or you know, and that would have been even more more difficult. The look you've got is really classy, isn't it? Like that that era of of fashion was um, was among the best that we've ever had.
3: Absolutely. And I've got to say, though, I, I have a beehive. And the morning after the beehive before, I probably do look a little bit more 80s punk because <laughs> <laughs> I take that out and I just look like Marwan Fellaini. So, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it can go from one to the other quite quickly. But, yeah, it is a very classy look. Um, mm. And I think, you know, a lot of the things there, so the... The style is very, very classy and, the, you know, the 2 tone suits, I love all of that. And and the music as well, It's it stands the test of time. I always say that, you know, music now, I don't know who's in the chart. I don't know anything about Stormy or any of the other people that are relevant now. But, um, you know, it, it, I don't think it's going to stand the test of time like it did in the 60s because it was so pure. Um, and I think a lot of the things that happened back then were so genuine and... I, I just absolutely, I love that era. Um, well, it would and, have been like it would to... have been
2: coming out of a very difficult time, wouldn't it? With you know the, the war had happened, there was rationing still ha- happening in the. I'm not sure where it ended exactly, but it was in the 50s at some point. And then in the 60s, there was this kind of creative explosion of music and and um, and freedom and and expression and 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 i can understand why that is that is not just the fashion but everything about that era of of, of our um, of our history is is exciting and um and you know our parents lived through it and they talked about it in the same way um
3: absolutely and just the way they lived as well i think you know when you look at what kids have to grow up in these days i find it quite scary that you know we're growing up in an era where social media Dictates and dominates, and it's so artificial. You know, people are growing up with filtered images to to have to adhere to and have to try and live up to in some respect. So I think it's you know it's very different now. And and to be honest, I'd hate to be a youngster trying to grow up in this,
2: in yeah. this industry. it's tough. Um, obviously, uh, you know, like like you say, with social media and 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 and, and how you look and how people perceive you is. It is the centre of it all. You know the filters, as you mentioned, but how many followers you have, how many likes you get on pictures, the way that these these systems are designed to to um, can trigger responses in your brain that make you feel good. Um, it's all about the self and the I. And your your mental health um, condition, which was how how would you describe your your condition from from when you was when you were first diagnosed when you was nine? Yeah. Uh, into the now would that would that as, uh, as you describe it would you be able to tell us also that that whether or not it was based on how you saw yourself or how other people saw you yeah. how does how does it work
3: yeah so um i first developed um anorexia nervosa when i was nine years old um and for me it presented itself as a companion and a voice inside my head that that tried to help me control an aspect of my life when there were other things going on in my life that I couldn't dictate the outcome of. So there was a very close relative of mine who um, had a stronger relationship with my brother and my younger sister than he did with me. So Mm. I found that very difficult to grasp and to understand. So when I couldn't control how that person felt about me, the one thing at nine years old that is a consistent in your life that you can control is your food intake. So anorexia presented itself as this companion, as this thing that would, that would help me gain a control over a certain aspect of my life. Um, you know, obviously it is a very complex mental illness, has the highest mortality rate of all mental illnesses. Um, and what, what, in-
2: is, what, what, what is it? Why, why would that be? just in case because i i, I yeah. think most people know what anorexia is yeah. because they've seen it on the news but what yeah. why why is it so dangerous so it was
3: what? it's a voice inside your head or it was for me a voice inside my head that it manipulated me so it started off when i was when i was 9 it would it would present itself and say you know it'd start off by saying you look nice today um, but you could do with maybe not having that packet of crisps and because it had worked its way into my life I trusted it. At that age, nobody, nobody around me was talking about eating disorders. I didn't know what a mental health condition was. So I assumed that this was a normal process for any nine year old to be going through. Um, You know, it was it was quite secretive, It, it made sure that I didn't tell anyone about it. But it would say, you know, maybe you shouldn't have that packet of crisps. And over time, it would become more and more intrusive. So it would say, you shouldn't have this, because that's the reason that so and so doesn't like you or the reason that you don't have this relationship. So I believed that by by listening to what anorexia was telling me, it would help me in other aspects of my life. Um so it would it would wear me down and by the age of about 11 or 12, that's when it really started to take hold of my life. Um it it controlled everything I did. My mum took me to a GP um, and they basically diagnosed me with anorexia nervosa, but told me that my weight wasn't low enough to receive treatment and to to come back when I'd lost more weight. Um, it, I always liken it to being in an abusive relationship with my mind, because it manipulated me into believing that I was unworthy of happiness, of life. I had well, I had no quality of life. I was, I was existing merely to satisfy an irrational voice inside my head. Um I wasn't allowed to do anything that I'd previously enjoyed. Everything I did had to be to satisfy this voice of anorexia. Um
2: Can I uh, just sorry, just, yeah. to cut in there. What what um so the I wanna come back to a couple of things you yeah. just said, but but what what when you say it's the highest mortality rate, what is it literally that um, it gets to a stage where there aren't enough calories being put into the body and and, it, and you, you fall into a coma or, or so, you, yes. How, how, how does, why is it so dangerous? How, how does it, how does it happen? What?
3: Yeah. So, um, it can, anorexia can impact you in ways that you can either, you can either die directly. So when I was actually admitted to hospital, I was told the night before, um, that if I wasn't admitted there and then I could have a heart attack at any moment. Um, so you can either die directly of it by suicide. So your
2: so your 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 body literally just starts to shut down because it just doesn't have enough to continue to function correctly.
3: Yeah. So um, by the time that I was admitted to hospital, I'd been sent away by my GP to lose more weight, um, and then from there I was monitored every week where they just watched my weight deteriorate. But the thing, the thing that they don't realise, and I think one of the biggest impact it has on you, whilst your weight is deteriorating the the psychological, psychological impact is the most detrimental. So the, the weight loss is a side effect, really, with anorexia because it's a psychological illness. And right. where you're obviously losing weight, I wasn't able to respond to things cognitively anymore. Um, whereas when I initially presented for treatment, I... I was still aware that, that Abby was in there somewhere. It wasn't all anorexia. Um, but the more and more that it manipulated me and it controlled me, I lost sight of who Abby was. I didn't know who I was anymore. I lost my periods. I didn't have any periods because anorexia shuts down your body. So your body, is it's quite clever. It starts shutting down, but with the things that you need the least go first. Um, so obviously your periods, they stop um and then it starts shutting down the more serious things so my liver function wasn't great um I'd bruise easily my teeth crumbled my hair fell out um my eyesight started to go a bit and and bones would protrude through my body um through my skin sorry and the more that the more that it controlled me the less i saw the impacts because anorexia is often coupled with body dysmorphia which means that when you look in the mirror you see something that that isn't what's what's real so I would see something that was a lot larger than me in the mirror so I never saw the physical impact that it had on my body um body
2: dysmorphia being when uh, yeah you, you you you're you're you're, you're essentially, when you look in the mirror when I see you you, yeah. you would look in the way that you actually are but yeah. you would look in the mirror and see something that you would pick false or would you see a physically difficult different image would you think
3: I'd see a physically different um image and you're projecting of, yeah and because of that I'd start then self-harming um and that was the reason that that I started to self-harm because what I saw in the mirror wasn't what anorexia needed from me um so it would tell me how worthless I was how 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 much of a failure I was because I couldn't even do the one thing that it was asking me to do in lo- in lose weight um so the more it took took hold the less I saw the abby side of me and it just I was completely in control of uh, sorry i was completely controlled by this voice so i wasn't yeah. i wasn't allowed to have friendships if i if i laughed i'd have to punish myself everything had to be to satisfy anorexia um it got i was so paranoid that at night i'd have to pile things up against my door because i was convinced that my mum was coming in and feeding me whilst i slept um i couldn't drink tap water because i was convinced that someone was somehow getting calories into it which you know, it's completely, when you're listening to it and you're not in control of this illness, you you know, that, that makes sense to you because it makes you, you rationalize the irrational with this illness, but, you know, yeah. to the outside world, you probably think, how on earth can it get to that stage? But it, it gradually took hold of me. And this is where, you know, early intervention is so crucial with an eating disorder because, as I said, when I initially presented for treatment, I still wanted that help. I still saw a way out, but by the time I was admitted to hospital, I'd given up. I completely believed that I was worthless, that I had nothing to live for, and that anorexia was going to kill me somehow. I'd planned my funeral, I'd written you know I'd written out exactly how I wanted my funeral to be because I, I just didn't see how I was, was going. to...
2: Was you afraid at that point?
3: I think I was, I was past any emotion. I was so malnourished, I was so unwell, and there was no Abby part of me there anymore. So where, where anorexia, you know, when I said it, it initially presented itself and, and said that it would help me gain control over things. So I no longer worried about the things that I initially worried about because I was too unwell to worry. I, was, I had no energy to fight, I, I didn't feel anything. I was just numb. Um, so I, I, I wasn't scared. I was just, I was in pain, I think is the only way I can describe it. I was in mental pain. I was in physical pain and, and I just wanted it to stop. Um, mm. I, you know, I, I didn't sleep because I was either too hungry to sleep or if I had eaten anything throughout the day, anorexia would keep me awake and make me exercise throughout the night and, and punish me for, for eating. So, I, I just didn't see any way out and i was just so consumed by it that that i just wanted it all to stop and i'd beg i, I would beg nurses to to just let me die because i felt ready i felt that i had nothing else to give because anorexia had won yeah you know how, we were so how old inside.
2: was you at that point
3: i was about 15 when when i said please just just let me so die you, because i would had nothing. it six years yeah
2: um okay um i just want to, i wanna i want to sort of talk through it chronologically if yeah. you if you don't mind yeah. but but before that um what I've learned from this already is that i assumed and i and i assume that a lot of the people that listen to this will feel mm. the same way as, as I that it was an eating problem again it is an eating problem but it's not it's a psychological problem first right yeah, yeah. And, and the product as you said of this battle that you're having yourself is is the, the the eating is the the key way of taking control especially when you're you're as young as nine when you're when you're first aware of it yeah actually you would have been aware of it before then it was that you was diagnosed at nine right
3: um no so nine was when i initially or anorexia initially presented itself and then i was right i was um i was diagnosed when i was about 12 so it it was a gradual process over the first few years and it was i think that's how it embedded itself because. It was such a slow process and I I learned to trust it. And I think, you know, even then when my mum would say, but you trust me, please, please trust me. Mm. I didn't because anorexia by this point had made me believe that that was the only thing that wanted to do what was right for me. And and I firmly believed that anorexia was the only thing in my corner.
2: Um, You, I think... What I, what I also find really interesting is that you, you're, you've, you refer to it as a separate thing and you often, uh, during this, for the first 20 minutes or so we've been chatting, you often refer to yourself as a separate thing as well. Yeah. Can you explain that?
3: Yeah, I think, I think you have to. That's one of the, one of the most important things um, that I learned during my recovery um, is that when I was admitted to hospital we were so entwined anorexia and I was so entwined that there was there was no Abigail left everything every thought that I processed everything that I did was for anorexia there was no there was no Abigail left in there you know I wasn't allowed to go out and buy clothes I wasn't allowed to watch football do things that I love doing um it completely stripped me of my identity and who I was so when I got admitted a nurse asked me what does Abigail enjoy doing and I instantly replied saying counting calories and that's where she said no that's what anorexia enjoys doing what do you enjoy doing and I just remember thinking fuck I, I have nothing I, I don't know what I like doing because for years anorexia has worn me down and stripped me of everything that that I enjoy doing I, I don't remember I don't I don't really see us as separate things anymore so I think that process of realizing that anorexia is a different entity and wanted different things to what I wanted in life, you know, I was a really bubbly child before anorexia came along i I loved my food i I loved my family, I loved going to watch football, and you know I was always quite a wild child really, and I think that's one of the moments where I realized that anorexia had stripped me and and had stolen stolen Abigail away from me so um, yeah. Well, when the
2: nurse asked you that question. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. So I think you know realizing that it's a separate entity to me is a very important thing, and I think it's very important now that I always do that because I need to remember that we are fighting for completely different things. I still wake up every morning with with the voice of anorexia in my mind. Um, and, and you're
2: it's, you're 28 now. I'm
3: 28 now. Yeah, and and I still have that every single morning when i wake up it's you know it's trying to to win me back over and and some days it does there was there was a weekend i think it was about a month and a half ago um i had some chips on my way home from work and the next day i cried all day um and and it it did win that day but i'm i'm now in a position where i'll let it have a day or two if that's if that's what i need because i know that I'm never going to be back in that position where it controls my life the way it did. Um, it, mm. And the thing, the thing with eating disorders that a lot of people don't realize, because I remember, I think it was Joan Bakewell um, said a few years back that it's anorexia is a sign of narcissism. And and that really really angered me because you know is it,
2: I can understand that is yeah.
3: it is it narcissistic at the age of sixteen to have to have your mum bath you because you don't have the energy to do it yourself you know my my teeth were crumbling and I had bald patches in my hair because you know because because I was so so malnourished um, and I didn't care about my appearance that's that's one thing that I think shocks a lot of people but skinny absolutely hurt it really really hurt i i didn't have the energy to to care what i looked like i was convinced that i was going to die so you know it was it was never for me it was never about my image i wouldn't let people take pictures of me because i was disgusted by the way that i looked um anorexia wore me down to think that that i was nothing that i was ugly and fat and disgusting and i loathed myself so it was never ever for me about my image um it was it was all mental for me it was all psychological and yes i'd count calories yes i'd get on the scale and i'd have to meet certain targets that anorexia set for me but that was that was because that controlled me it was you know it was all psychological
2: how so how do you how do you when when you say you hear a voice is it more a feeling or did you did you hear a, an actual voice
3: Yeah, so for it... me um for me it was an actual voice and it's not it's not my own voice it's not a voice of anyone that I know it's just a completely separate voice um, And
2: can you hear it
3: Yeah yeah so it's I can hear it in my head so I can't hear it you know as if it's someone next to me talking I understand. It's yeah. So it's in it's in my head. Um, But yeah, from hearing that nine, it's kind of it's you know it's always been there. And I think that was one of the hardest things I had to when I was in hospital. My psychiatrist made me name it, and you know made me made me see it and visualize it. So because it was in my head, it was it was very difficult that process of seeing it as a different entity it was quite difficult for me because it was in my head and it's something that I'd known for a very long time so my my psychiatrist um made me name it made me give it a shape made me give it a color and that process made helped me understand that that it was separate to me um Mm. and I think that was a very important process but um you know one of the other things that anorexia does that I don't think you see much of is it destroys families um I I told my mum on several occasions that I didn't love her because anorexia was threatened by her and I needed to push these people away um she my mum actually ended up needing help herself because she couldn't she couldn't cope with seeing her daughter dying in front of her eyes um
2: I mean which what mother could
3: yeah Yeah, my sister, you know, she obviously struggled. She told me a few years after um, that she'd, she'd eat more to try and compensate. And she said she knew she thought that, you know, she knew that sounded stupid. But because she couldn't physically make me eat, she would try and eat more because she didn't know what else she could do. And everyone you know it,
2: so it's a control it's sort of replicating isn't yeah. it what what could you do so she yeah. was doing the opposite in a way of help, taking some control of a situation that she couldn't
3: absolutely control. and you know it it really does rip through families and you know you have i th- i don't think it's an isolated case that i had family members that um couldn't deal with it and i i kind of get that to a degree but made no effort to understand the illness and played no further part in my life because of that. Um, so, you know, it, it really does have such a detrimental impact on not just you, but, but everyone around you as well. Um,
2: I'd imagine, not, I mean, I obviously, I'm not from a position of knowing absolutely nothing about you or your yeah. family. Yeah. My, all, all, I, all I could when you said that, it, it reminded me of like when in the past people have got sick and people are so afraid of it because it shows a mirror up of of just how fragile at times we can be and that that it's scary and people will run away rather than confront it and I've seen it happen in my own own family as well
3: yeah yeah and I I think as well you with anorexia because it's such a, a controlling illness and it doesn't want anyone else to be there the way you treat people, and it's not you, it's the illness. Um, but the way that it makes you treat people is so hurtful that you know. When when I was in recovery, I, I felt absolutely awful, and that added to the guilt even further. When I started to understand what what the illness had done to people around me, um, mm-hmm. you can understand because you do put up this wall when, you know, my mum might say to me one day, it's so hard to know what to say to someone because my mum would say, you look lovely today when I was in recovery. And that would that would make me spiral because of course, I would don't take, only hear that. Yeah. yeah, I would take you look lovely as you've gained a lot of weight, you know. And but, but, and,
2: and, and what she's supposed to say, it's impossible for her, exactly, isn't it?
3: Exactly. So, you know, it's it's having that understanding and that's something that I try and, try and get across to people now you know who are caring for people that it is just their illness and and the person themselves doesn't mean you know what they're saying and I think you know being there listening to them but it's so important to understand the core root of of anorexia and why it entered someone's life um and that's that for me was very important understanding that but the way that I was able to get out of it. So I, before I got admitted to hospital, as I said, it, it had worn me to the point where I believed I was worth nothing. I I had no outlook on life. Um, I'd got rid of all my friends. I didn't speak to my family. I just locked myself away in my room. I became addicted to laxatives. I took a drug called DMP, which has previously been used in explosives. Um, and it's... It's killed, it's been in the news quite a bit because it killed a girl called Eloisa Parry. Um, and I took that on a number of occasions. I read up about it before taking the drug, I read up about it and saw that it could kill me. And that wasn't that wasn't a deterrent to me because I was I knew that anorexia would kill me anyway. So if it would work and it would help me lose weight, then then I needed to take it. Um, and it was shortly after that, that I was admitted to hospital.
2: How did you, you, you ordered it online?
3: Yeah. Um, so drugs like that, unfortunately are still quite readily available online. Um, it didn't ask for my age, didn't ask for any verification. I was just able to, to purchase it. I think it came from China. Um, and And
2: the thing is, is that there's so many counterfeit drugs out there as well as you don't know what. What it is you're buying, whether yeah. it'll work first off, but will it, how, how deadly it can be?
3: Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I wasn't, it didn't bother me, you know, knowing what I was putting into my body.
1: Uh... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. plushcare.com slash weight loss
3: um, because I just needed I was so fixated on on making anorexia happy so it didn't it didn't matter to me if it killed me I just needed to try my best to satisfy anorexia and the thing the thing that you don't even you don't learn and you don't realize until you're in recovery is that the anorexia will tell you that Right, we'll stop when we reach this weight. We'll stop when we reach this weight. No, no, carry on a little bit more, but we'll definitely stop when we reach this weight. Anorexia will not stop until it's killed you. It will tell you everything you want to hear, but but ultimately it will not stop until it has killed you.
2: Can you have a conversation with it? It's I Had you previously, or is it just one way?
3: No, it's just one way. The only The only thing I would do is beg, and I'd beg out loud, you know, just to please stop tormenting me because... I had nothing left. I remember just being on my bedroom floor because I'd have to exercise until I passed out. And I remember coming around once and just thinking, please, can you, can you just leave me alone? Because I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't fight and even not fighting and even doing everything you say is hurting me. You know, there's, there was just no pleasure in my life. I just, Mm. I just couldn't, I couldn't see a way out. It was just, being stuck in this monotonous loop of of trying to satisfy the irrational demands of something in my head that I didn't even understand why it was there, what it was, you know, why had it picked me? Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people ask me whether, you know, I resent it. And I remember, I remember a nurse saying to me once, and and I found it quite annoying because it's the mindset of quite a few people. She said, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to regret wasting so much of your life. And at the time, a nurse
2: that was, said that to you. yeah.
3: And that was, That's that terrible. was, that was more, you know, at the time it was like, right, we'll put that on me as well. then And, and you know, uh, uh. contribute that to my failings. But But then I realized a few years later when I was thinking about that, you know, how have I wasted years of my life? This is an illness. You wouldn't say that to someone with cancer. You wouldn't say that to someone who'd had a stroke or had had a a physical illness. So why are you telling me that I've wasted my life? I can't help it. I I can assure you that I have certainly not asked to be in this position um, where I've pushed half of my family away. I have no friends. I have no outlook on life. And... I'm covered in self-harm scars. There is no way I've asked for this. So, you know, I think we still see that, don't we, a lot where people still think these illnesses are are a choice.
2: Uh, yeah, that there's a switch you can hit and it it's just gone. Yeah um you know it's such a difficult thing for people to understand from my experience like my, in my previous relationship she had lots of mental health conditions yeah. she had uh eat, eat, an eating disorder of some sort not diagnosed yeah although they did mention once about anorexia but it never really went past that thank yeah. god because i think she was in a position where she would have taken any any way to to uh, make sense of what she was going through absolutely um and I didn't know a single thing about mental health conditions before I met her, but it became much obviously. You, you, if it's in front of your face, you can't ignore it, so you have to try and understand what you're seeing. Yeah. And, um, and 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 so, but 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 there are other people in my family as well who who said maybe this isn't the right relationship for you. You know, yeah. this looks tough. This is difficult. Just get yourself out of there. Yeah, like it was a switch I could switch off and just walk away from, yeah. which I couldn't do. But so I, I kind of. It's just it's not it's ignorance, and 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 not willful ignorance. It's slightly different. But a a nurse should know better than to say something like that. I think.
3: Yeah, I mean to be honest, the whole I would hope it's things have developed a bit since I was, um, since I was at my worst. Because you know, even being diagnosed with anorexia and being told to come back when you've lost more weight is is ludicrous in itself because. It's it's a psychological illness. I have been in some very dark places with my eating disorder when I've been at my heaviest because obviously I've gained more weight and I've gone against what anorexia said. You do not need to be underweight to have anorexia. Um, and likewise, if you are slim, it doesn't mean you've got anorexia. So, you know, it's it's very difficult to... To get your head around it when people in the in that profession are even going against what you're thinking and what you're believing um but yeah it's it's a very difficult one for everyone you know my auntie i remember my auntie saying to me um what do you think and i told her that i was ashamed of myself that that I, i couldn't i didn't want to see anyone because i was so embarrassed about the person that I was and that was just because anorexia had made me made me feel that I wasn't embarrassed by my eating disorder um and she said do you trust me and I said yes even though at that point I didn't and she said well I'm Mm -hmm. telling you that you're not very well and I just thought you know it's very difficult they're trying their best but that just made me push them away even more
2: yeah yeah I can understand it um, do you mind talking about this, Abigail? Is it yeah, difficult to talk about?
3: I find it, I quite like discussing this because, for two reasons. One, when I was going through it, it was never talked about. Um, and I didn't I, I didn't have anything or anyone to relate to. And I found it very difficult when people, you know, nurses and medical professions would say, you will recover because I thought, how the fuck do you know? You've not been in this position. You don't know what I'm going through. So I, I like that. You know I hope anyway that if someone who is going through it listens to this, then they can see that that I have come out the other side, and you know it is it is possible and secondly, I quite like to remind myself of of where I've been, so that when anorexia does next crop up and try and and try and regain control, I can remind myself that I never ever want to end up back there.
2: The problem with with mental health, as well as you think you're alone, you think it's only happening to you and no one can really understand what you're going through. So if anybody is listening to this, and there undoubtedly will be people that will listen to this episode and know someone, even if, they, if it isn't themselves, know someone who's going through something. And if they can hear someone else say, especially if they're going through it themselves, say, I understand um, where you was and look where I am right now. And I appreciate how difficult... You think it might be to get out because I was there as well and I think that's such a powerful thing and people it's really good that that you are you do feel comfortable to talk about it because of the the good work it can do you're you're actually um attached to a mental health charity aren't you
3: yes so I'm an ambassador for BEAT um which is the leading eating disorder charity in the UK um and I'm hoping that soon I can start working on their call lines too so we can you know i can start talking to people who who are really in desperate need but the work that they do it's not just for the sufferer it's for their families too so if you're caring for someone or if you're worried about someone if you visit their website um they offer a lot of a range of different different approaches that you can take different you know different ways that you can speak to people they have helplines they have um sessions that you know it's such a great charity because there are also a lot of um, TV shows that can be detrimental and can trigger people with eating disorders, and they often keep their helplines open, you know, later when these shows are on, just to just to help out that little bit more. So that just shows, well, you know, how.
2: So would this be? Uh, I'm guessing things like um, Love Island and things like that.
3: Um, there was. It was a show, I can't remember the name of it to be honest, but there was a show on Channel 4 recently um, and it was basically how, I think it was like how to lose a stone right. in however okay. many days um, and they were telling people to to go on an 800 calorie a day diet which which just isn't attainable, it isn't healthy and I'm just sick of everything revolving around calories to be honest. Um mm. You know, when you're obviously the government had the, the idea to put calories on on menus in restaurants recently. And I just think that could be so triggering and so detrimental to people with eating disorders, because instantly when you see these things and you start thinking about calories again, it can lead you. Triggering, into, isn't it? Yeah, you can. You know, it, it leads you back into thinking about food and its worth in calorific value when
2: you could be having a great day and it just suddenly that
3: absolutely absolutely
2: um i guess from their perspective though if you if you have to always have to look at as many sides as you can is that they think that perhaps obesity is bigger threat to 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 the nhs than than the mental than the mental health aspects of eating disorders that's where i I guess they're coming from but not something like channel four yeah that's entertainment that's something different and i
3: think you know i think there was a doctor on that on that Channel Four show, um who was who was leading the cause for this eight hundred calorie a day diet, and I just think it's so. De- even if you don't have an eating disorder, it's just so detrimental to think about calories in that way and to think about food in that way. We're going to mm. have a generation of youngsters growing up thinking about food for their calorific value, and I think that's so dangerous and it can be so damaging. Um, you know to to think about food in that way
2: it's the controlled the controlled aspects of it rather yes. than just enjoy it don't you know teaching someone to not eat excessively and yeah. and um eat the, all of the wrong things like yeah. don't eat four tubs of ice cream a day but Absolutely. you don't don't worry about the calorific input of a, a tub of ice not a tub like a whatever it is like a glass of ice yeah. cream and, that you're having
3: and just you know teach us about the the nutrients and and what nutrients we we need i actually um in recovery i became vegan and that's something that really helped me um because i now look at what i need to put into my body and it's you know it's obviously very different the what i need and you know different vegetables i need different nuts and different and i now see it as as a good thing to to make sure i'm putting all the right things into my body and i think that's a much healthier way of looking at it
2: do you feel better for being a vegan
3: absolutely in so many ways um
2: really so, so I, I don't want to do it I'm yeah. a vegetarian I just don't want to though because it's oh, fucking you just mentioned nuts as a part of your like you know what I mean like well I don't I don't want nuts to be a staple in my life
3: <laughs> I mean to be fair nuts can be in chocolate so
2: all right fair <laughs> but, enough I don't really like chocolate either so I'm, I'm not being helpful here am I? but um, um yeah I
3: just yeah. so I have IBS because as a result of taking a hundred plus laxatives a day um when right. I was when I was at my worst. So I suffered really badly with IBS and since I've been vegan I very rarely have a flare. No flare up, up so Yeah so incredible. it's it's really like I just enjoy this way of life. Um had really bad acne and yes I'm on medication for that. But in addition, you know I think being vegan does help. Um yeah I just I feel I don't, think a it's any, any,
2: I don't think it's any um, coincidence by being healthy and putting yeah. good things in your body that your your body will react in a better way. And, Absolutely. and you know, it doesn't sound like a bad thing, Abigail, because you you, did, you although that nurse said you're wasting parts of your life, yeah. when unfortunately the reality is that, you, that while it wasn't your fault, anorexia took did take parts of your life away from you and your experiences that you could have had. And by making a healthy, conscious decision is a direct opposite to where you was when you was hop- hospitalized and that's there's not, no greater way to react to something than, than, than to, to do the opposite
3: definitely and you know it for me I you know anorexia took away my childhood it robbed me of a significant portion of my childhood um but I've learned so much from it I think I've got more empathy because of it I've got more of an understanding of other people's problems because of it and I'm yeah. I'm, I'm I think I'm a a more rounded person because of my struggles. So, you know, mm. in some ways um there are, you know, there are positives and I'm I'm very fortunate that I'm in a position where I am able to see that. But I think, you know, just to, just to take it back for a second to to when I was in hospital, you know, a lot of people struggle to to see how you get from from A to B so to speak. Um, And it's, you know, I think it's important to say that it's not a linear process um, and there's also no one solution fits all. So I tried a number of things. I had family therapy. I do art therapy, which art therapy for me was a disaster from the start because I already had very low self-esteem and thought very little of myself. So for me, what could be worse than going and doing something that I was absolutely shit at? So I've never been good <laughs> at art. So you know, it was so
2: it wasn't. It wasn't that the the art art therapy can't work for people. No. It was just you was rubbish at drawing and it didn't help your self confidence anymore. Yeah,
3: and and it, it wasn't it wasn't the approach for me. Um, I didn't react to it. It just when you know I just. I wasn't in the in the right mind frame for it and I just you know it didn't help me but there were other people in in hospital with me who absolutely loved it and it was their favorite part of the week so you know it is very important to realize that that there's no one solution fits all but for me personally um my uncle asked if he could take me to a football match when I was in hospital and as I've mentioned I'd I'd forgotten what I enjoyed doing um we used to go and watch football. We always watched football together when I was young. Um So he asked if he could take me to a football match. And because of where I was at that point, I genuinely saw that as my way to say goodbye to him. So I thought if I go
2: is, to... Is this, was this the uncle that, that, that paid more attention to your, your siblings no, no, you?
3: No, no, no. So that was my dad.
2: Um, oh, that so was your dad? Yeah, Sorry. that was yeah,
3: my dad. So, yeah, my uncle um, has been one of the most supportive people during this whole journey. Um, he's, yeah, I owe a lot to him. Um, he he just, you know, out of the blue, just said, can I take Abby to, to a football match? And because I was an impatient, you know, they obviously had to sign me out and go through loads of checks with him. And What I did think-
2: you think when you heard that in terms of, do you want to take me to a football match? Like, what what did that... Can you remember thinking, I'd love to do that?
3: I genuinely, I was so low at that point that I did, I just saw it as my way to say goodbye to him because I didn't think I was going to be around for much longer. So I saw that, I saw him taking me to a football match. I absolutely think the world of my uncle and I just thought that would be the perfect way for me to say goodbye to him before, before I'm not around any longer. So... I agreed to it, and I thought I also thought, you know, I can I can manipulate these people, so I can tell the hospital that I'm going to eat with my uncle, and I can tell my uncle that I'm going to eat in the hospital, mm. and I can avoid a meal time. So it was all, you know, there was there wasn't a part of me that was thinking I get to go and do something nice. It was all manipulative. It was all, you know, it was all anorexia focused. Um, but yeah, he he came to to get me and we went to watch the football and as soon as I stepped out onto the concourse it it's so it's difficult to explain because everything just flooded back to me and I I kind of over the course of the 90 minutes I just re-engaged with with everything that I'd lost um I just you know it was—it it was 90 minutes where I wasn't thinking about anorexia or how I was going to skip a meal. I was thinking about tactics and formations and and watching my favorite players and it just I just reengaged with with the childhood that I'd lost, I guess. Um and I just yeah, it was just the probably one of the best nights of my life because it made me realize that there was a a life that I could live where I could, okay, I've still got anorexia, but I've just had 90 minutes free from the voice of anorexia. And I've had different thoughts going through my mind that haven't been about counting calories or how worthless I am or how useless I am. I've just had 90 minutes of freedom. Um, So that really like, changed my life in one night, I guess, because I went from thinking I'm not going to be around for much longer to I want to watch more football. Um, and I clung on to that. I really did cling on to that feeling. Yeah. I'd watch all of any sport that I could. i just – I'd watch it all. Um, and I started writing match reports from my hospital bed. Um, and it, it kind of gave me perspective because – I had no outlook on life, no prospects, and I guess it it made me think that I could have a future.
2: Yeah, it sounds like it saved your life, pretty much.
3: Absolutely. Um, I would say that you know football and and my uncle taking me there that night that did save my life. Um, I... and it it wasn't you know people might listen to that and think oh god as if it's going to be that simple and it really really wasn't. Um, you know the the more I then fought to keep myself alive and to to try and battle against anorexia the harder it fought and the worse the abuse it gave me got and the more it would keep me up at night because it was fearful that it was losing its grip on me so it really mm. wasn't a case of i just went to watch football and no. there we go everything's great you know it and i've i've had relapses i ended up back in hospital but it i've always even during relapses i've never given into it it's always i've always battled it even when i've been losing battles i've always battled um because i think when you realize how manipulative anorexia is and and how it really isn't on your side you really do see it as the enemy which is yeah what it is
2: yeah for sure definitely uh people won't might 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 know might have seen um your, your Twitter account because you did a feature on our, our podcast about Tottenham's new signing, um, Rondon, Rodon. Yeah. Um, but, but you, 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 you went from being in that position to getting a, a master's in journalism, no, a, a degree in journalism and a master's in sports journalism. Is that right?
3: Yeah. So I got the degree in, I got a degree in sports journalism and then a master's in sport broadcasting. Um, and right. I got my master's in January. I finished the course, um, so yeah it's,
2: and sorry, go ahead no,
3: it's um it's been quite a quite an emotional journey, and I think that's another reason why I quite like talking about it is because I've never been one, I never you know give myself any credit, I think that's because of the the childhood i had and you know the my adolescence because of all of that i never really praised myself for any achievements and i kind of just let it all go under the radar so it's it's quite nice to to think no i have you know i have come a long way and it's all right for us to to tell ourselves well done every now and again
2: uh, mate i uh, we we um before we were talking before i knew all of your story yeah. um you i was asking you how you got to a position where you got which was reporting uh, doing work for Sky Sports, yeah. Uh, reporting on darts, yeah, uh, which you love, and um, uh, and actually starting to form or have formed a career for yourself in sports journalism. Do you know how difficult that is? Is there someone that? I I did journalism at university and could for love nor money could not find a way in it was only when I started figuring out actually I I can make content myself for myself like in terms of the the podcast that things changed somewhat but there are there are so many people out there that want to work in sports journalism the fact that you had all these difficulties and are achieving that is um something you should feel proud about and um it is impressive from an outside perspective so um you don't, you know, you don't have to say anything to that. I'm just saying, you should take it as a compliment because you've you clearly worked, worked hard, and battled for it.
3: I think it's so British, isn't it? It's like, how do I deal with a compliment? I'm just gonna have a yeah, beer. I know. I'll just drink beer. Yeah. That, that solves everything <laughs> like that, doesn't
2: it? It's it's very uncomfortable, but I think it's important to say after the conversation we've had, you don't, you know, it's it's, it's good stuff. Um, Okay. Look, is, is is there anything else you wanted to say before before we wrap up? It's been fascinating talking to you. I'm really ha- happy and, and grateful the fact that you, you've given us your time. And although you feel comfortable talking about it, um, you know it isn't that isn't always the case for most people. And I think talking about this stuff does really do good, even if it's just educating people about it.
3: Absolutely. And I, you know, I just I'd urge anyone. Um, I think. One final thing to say is that, you know, you are if you are struggling with with a mental health condition, if you've got an eating disorder, you are worth so much more than your eating disorder will ever allow you to believe. Um, And, you know, you you do deserve that help and you can. I promise you, because I've been there, I've thought there is no way out of this. You can reach a point where you're in control of your eating disorder and it's worth the pain. It's worth it's worth the nights of crying and 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 thinking that you can't do it, all the setbacks it's so worth it because when you when you reach a point where you can take joy from things in life, it's the best moment that freedom because i can now I can now smile and laugh and not feel guilty about it, which is something that when I was sixteen seventeen, I never thought I'd be able to do because. I believed I was unworthy of happiness but when you when you reach a point where you can you can go out and you can enjoy a sunny day or you can go and watch the football free from the shackles of your eating disorder it's so worth it so just keep yourself in the game when you need to and and get yourself the help when you feel able to
2: Abigail thank you so much